It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. Joining us today are The Times' very own Alison Rudd, James Gearbrandt and Paul Joyce. Coming up, we'll look back on Super Silva by the Seaside and Steve Bruce stunning Spurs. But first, to the big game of the weekend at Anfield and Liverpool being simply too good for Unai Emery's Arsenal. Arsenal's new signing from Chelsea was at fault for two of Liverpool's goals, pulling back Mo Salah in the box to allow the Egyptian to convert from the spot before diving in needlessly to allow Salah to run away and seal the second of the game. So, Paul, is David Luiz a liability in big games for Arsenal? Well, I think certainly he was, you know, he didn't show the leadership at the weekend that was, um, that Emery probably thought he was recruiting when he signed him from Chelsea. Um I think that the the tug on Salah was, was needless and because he was booked um in the penalty instant incident it meant he he couldn't get near him and couldn't contemplate bringing him down for the second goal or else he would have been sent off and, and out of the North London Derby this weekend. I think you know, the, this this image isn't there of David Louise have been, you know, a bit of a comical a comical figure and defensive from a defensive point of view, and it's probably a little harsh because we remember all the all the bad things. But certainly, I think Arsenal haven't done enough to um, look at the defensive issues that that were evident last season. I think they conceded 51 goals in the Premier League. I think there was signs in pre-season, even before they signed David Luiz, that that they'd not addressed those shortcomings properly and you know, looking at looking at them at the weekend, I still think that's going to be their Achilles heel that Pepe Nicholas Pepe looked looked promising in attack although his 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 finishing let him down on a couple of t- of occasions but I just think relying on on your front line to score three, four goals at the big six, especially away from home at the big six. It's just not going to be sustainable for for Arsenal, and yeah, I just I just think as much as the they've they've sort of the perception has been that they had quite a good summer transfer window. For me, I don't think they they did enough to to alleviate the the design faults that that have been there for so many years now. I think we we can all agree that Arsenal's defence was the concern. 
even before Louise was signed, and Louise was supposed to bring yeah. that bit of leadership experience and and two games in, and we've sort of had a pretty stark reminder of the 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 flaws in in, in David yeah. Louise's uh, ability. Alison, what did what did you what did you make of? Well, of, I, th- of I those think two first, first of all, David Louise is an emotional character, and if the team is not set up properly. He he he's one he's one of those defenders who's liable to think it's on his shoulders to make things right. So he was very exposed. So it's not entirely his fault. Um, I thought you were going to ask me why were they set up as a diamond midfield there, but I mean that 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 is part of the answer as to why David Luiz was so exposed because he was seeing he was he was it, it was last ditch defending and he doesn't always make the wise decisions. He's he's a better he's a better player when the, the his team are in control and they're set up properly and he feels he's setting in motion something that's been well devised and thought through. I think Emery needs to have a really long think about... I mean, Paul, you pointed out in your piece, I think, that they just, under Emery, they've not they've not won any of the games against the, the, the top six. Two, and, two draws, I think. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's, away, that's pretty... That, that shows... He, he, maybe he's overthinking it. He certainly overthought it at Anfield, I thought, because... You could see what he was thinking. He was thinking, I've got... OK, my defence might not be perfect yet, but I've got pace in my team. If I clog the midfield, I can suck, suck Liverpool's full-backs forward and I can catch Liverpool on the break because that, that's that's the only advantage I have. But in fact, it did... It, it, I mean, it did, they did look quite good on the break from time to time, but he, he just gave too much leeway to Liverpool's full-backs to dictate the game a bit. Yeah, Paul, even Jurgen Klopp admitted he was surprised to see... Uh, Emery set up with a diamond formation midfield. What did you What did you make of that? I think there was eighteen crosses from open play from Alexander Ar- Arnold and, and Robertson, the two fullbacks. Yeah, I think Alex, uh, well Alexander Arnold certainly had the most touch of touches of any Premier League player playing on Saturday. Uh, I thought it was curious, really, given the the amount of assists that came from from Liverpool's fullbacks last season to give them almost free reign down the flanks was. Was a bit baffling, and, and you just thought that while the crossing wasn't great to begin with, you just thought there would always be an opp- eventually, you know, something would give, uh, and there would be a goal that that came from one of the one of the sides. I mean, I think one of the interesting stats that came up for me from the weekend was even though Emery tried to get control of the centre of the pitch with the with the diamond Liverpool. Um, made 24 tackles compared to Arsenal's 15, I think it was, and it just shows the the relentlessness of, of this Liverpool team under Klopp and how the, how the their appetite to to go and go and go and constantly, you know, go again and win back the ball. There was one moment, I think it was in the first half, when Liverpool were really pressing, like, relentlessly, yeah. as you said, and Ciballos tried to play that switch across from his yeah, own, almost his own corner flag. Yeah, and it went straight to Manny and yeah. he had the shot at, yeah. uh, at goal. Yeah, I, I just I think I, I just think we can we can sort of criticize sort of Arsenal. I think there was a certain you know Emery didn't get it didn't get it quite right, but also this Liverpool team is developing into a very very good team and you know Alisson saw the win at Southampton I think the previous week and on the back of the Super Cup that was a real sort of the the Super Cup in Istanbul final that was a real sort of marker down I thought very earlier in the season and and then the way that they just 
kept going against Arsenal and um, Klopp, Klopp used the expression sort of physically broke them. Um, I think we have to sort of give Liverpool a, a bit of credit as well and not just say that say that Arsenal were you know were t- same old Arsenal. Um, I think he needs to refine his approach in it at certain moments. And, and I think it's a season when Emery has to step up as a coach because he's had that first season bedding in now and you, you want to see an improvement. But I think Liverpool will do what would Liverpool will do what they did to Arsenal to a lot of teams this season. I think the only thing is we the kind of build up to the game, everyone was quite excited to see Arsenal's front three and Liverpool's defence hasn't looked particularly sort of uh impressive so far this season compared to last season anyway and I suppose that was the only disappointing thing we didn't really get to see that at all until uh, Liverpool Late were 3-0 up really and this is two, this is the two teams with a 100% record going into it's early in the season but going into that game and do, do you think we've kind of seen the gulf between these two clubs pretty much emphasised yeah I think I think it's a little bit about level and obviously the phrase that Klopp used at the weekend which has got a lot of attention is um Intensity is our identity, and I just think it'll be interesting to see whether he, whether they can maintain that over the course of the season, um, playing with that sort of relentlessness that we saw at the weekend. If if they can do, they can go close in it in a lot of competitions again. But yeah, I think Arsenal have got have got work to do. I actually liked what I saw in Pepe. I liked the way that he took on Van Dijk, especially in the first half. I thought Van Dijk sort of stepped up again after the break. Just the best chances for for Arsenal really came from Liverpool mistakes. The Adrian um, clearing straight to Aubameyang and the the Henderson miscontrol that allowed uh, Nicolas Pepe to go through. So I think Arsenal still got a lot of work to do, and I just think unless they they get a, a bit more solidity, especially away from home against these these top side it's going to be difficult for them to to um you know get back into the top four James as someone who takes a keen interest in uh, the tactical side of the game what did you make of the way that Emery set up Arsenal on on Saturday um I, yeah I did I did think it was a bit of a mistake and, and not even just in the kind of tactical sense of the game but I just thought you know this was an opportunity to actually as we've said you know in in recent episodes Liverpool's defence had not been looking at its most secure in the sort of opening weeks of the season and they seem to be sort of playing a slightly higher line giving up slightly better chances than we expected to see and I just thought this was a real chance for Emery to be proactive and go on the front foot and play his best players and target a perceived weakness in Liverpool rather than setting up reactively and trying to preempt what Liverpool were going to do for me I, I just feel like you didn't need to go into that game with Matteo Guendouzi and Joe Willock, you know, and leave Lacazette on the bench. Mm. For me, that that's you know, I, you can you can overcomplicate the tactical side of things, but I do think there's a lot to be said for for playing your best players. And you know, if you, we know that Arsenal squad is is lopsided and that there's a real concentration of talent towards the top end of the pitch, fine. But you know, play to those strengths. Don't sort of neuter them. I thought it was a mistake. Well, it's the London Derby next weekend and, and Spurs were shocked by Newcastle who got their first win under Steve Bruce. Club record signing Joe Ellington scored his first goal in English football. I think Steve Bruce really needed that, didn't he, Alison? 
Yeah, uh, that it was uh, arguably the most interesting game of the weekend because of the amount of vitriol towards Steve Bruce. Uh, there was the whole Michael Chopra debacle. Yeah. And the, I mean, it's it's rare, really, isn't it, for a, a manager to directly answer a Twitter complaint. <laughs> and um, I know Chopra's a, a Newcastle fan. He didn't really do much at Newcastle, I don't think, as a player. But, I mean, it, when, when former players or famous fans are chipping in on social media and... Uh, phone-ins and so on you, you and you, you've only been there a couple of you know a couple of weeks virtually yeah. it's it's incredibly tough and the sort of backdrop that could have sunk him completely sunk him because the fans aren't weren't on side yet and as i've said on a previous podcast you know he's he's, he's you know he's not rafa benitez that's his greatest sin really he's not him but he bruce argued in the face of all the criticism you must be you must be, you know, unhinged if you think I don't know and my team don't know how to set up a my coaching staff don't know how to set up a, a team to be able to defend properly. And he did inherit a team that under Benitez had learned to be very resolute and get their uh, system straight, um, just concentrate for ninety minutes and be dour if necessary. So I think he used that sort of siege mentality, plucked from the team the good points from last season and he showed that if you do maintain your shape you can you can get a good result it wasn't thrilling football from them but they played to their strengths and yeah as you say it was absolutely necessary after an appalling week of criticism that he did something James they certainly did look very very well organised and they did part the bus but um, it was a good game for, for Joel and a good start he, he led the line very well it was a good weekend in fact for Sort of imposing number nines. There was uh, Wesley for for Villa, mm-hmm. um, Sebastian Allaire scored a couple of goals, and, and Tammy Abraham as well. Uh, but he, he he looked pretty impressive, didn't he? I mean, yeah. It's obviously it's obviously very early days for Jarlington, but I think he's looked he's looked good so far. Um, but I think for Tottenham, this was a uh, this was a concerning game. I I just I feel Tottenham have not. Tottenham have not played well in the league for a long time. And I'm talking about, you know, a sustained run of games as opposed to, um, yeah, they've had the odd good performance. But Tottenham have not looked and had a really strong run of form in the league for a while. And I just feel that they're really, we, I mean, sort of going back to kind of last last Christmas when they were sort of, they had that kind of, um, they were sort of, you know, near the top of the league and everyone was sort of saying, you know, a Tottenham part of a three-way title race and obviously they weren't and and all the kind of chickens that, you know, they're sort of, they hadn't been playing as well as their results kind of suggested and they all came home to roost and I just, I feel they're really struggling at the moment too. They're struggling to break down teams. They look quite kind of um, ponderous and just lacking a little bit of in, invention and kind of creativity and possession and obviously the whole kind of Ericsson's saga feeds into that. I How think, much do you think that is a is an issue? Pochettino spoke about that after the game and said it's the most unsettled that his Spurs squad has been since in his time at the club. How much do you think that is that is having an effect? Ericsson in particular, or more? well, there's several players, aren't there? But Ericsson is the sort of leaving him out of the team is is I, a nonsense, really. I feel <laughs> well. We know that Pochettino he has this. He look, I love Pochettino fantastic coach absolutely brilliant coach but we know he has this kind of 
real kind of strongman sort of authoritarian yeah. streak. Like he is not afraid to drop players that he just that he doesn't feel are kind of one hundred percent committed to the cause. And I mean, he's done that for you know a long time with sort of he's been surprisingly able to pursue that policy whilst keeping the team very buoyant. But I just feel, you know, obviously Vertonghen isn't playing at the moment and, and Ericsson appears to be in something of a similar position. And I just feel that's really hurting the team at the moment, not having those two top players. I think if you kind of, if you look maybe 12, 18 months down the line, Tottenham's team could look very different. There's some, you know, some key players that are that are unsettled and possibly looking for the exit and um, what, what do you think do you think Alison do you think that, that Spurs could look quite a lot different in maybe 18 months time possibly they had they had 80% possession and two shots on target they they are they're sort of eating themselves at Tottenham at the moment they just seem to be becoming a sort of over rarefied version of what Pochettino wants them to be I, I don't really don't buy this narrative that because because he has certain players who are unsettled and might leave or might not, that that, that um, infects the team. I don't don't believe that. If that is true, then Pochettino, who I agree with uh, with James, he has a lot of attributes as a coach, and one of them is supposed to be man management. This is where he steps up, isn't it? When if, if there are players who have expressed an interest in leaving but haven't left yet, you you manage their ability to, if, if they want to just show off a bit, show off a bit for the the club you want to go to I mean I just I just think given given that they reached the Champions League final which was not foreseen by anybody that that I mean you know okay parallel Liverpool lose the title by one point and they don't go oh we got close and that was awful we're going to be awful this season no they use that as 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 a motivation to look even better and more likely to win the title this season i would have th- i expected spurs getting to the champions league final to you know to really use that for all the people who had have had downers on them and their transfer policy and so on they've had some money spent Really, really, you've spent money, and now you're blaming the players you've al- you've already got who might be leaving for 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 that stat of eighty percent possession, two shots on target. I I I just think Pochettino might be I don't know, getting too getting too fussy about his role. To be quite honest, too particular. I I, I agree with that. I think Alison's made a number of br- brilliant points there. Uh, he, he's beginning to sound a bit like Mourinho for me. <laughs> you know the, the sort of today you know my players haven't didn't have enough desire um earlier in the summer the sort of the sort of veiled comments about his future uh, and going back to what Alison said then about the the sort of building on the champions league i mean it, it, it's a ridiculous situation that the manager three games into the season is saying he doesn't know whether Ericsson is going to still be here at the end of the month or not. I mean, that that's for him and Daniel Levy to say to Ericsson, no, you're not going. Yeah. And for a decision to be to be made before the first game of the season, no, you're not going. You know, if you if you contrast the way, uh, it's not all about not just going back, harping back onto Liverpool, but if, if you were to contrast the way that Liverpool handled the Coutinho situation um, when he in the summer of 2017, I think it was when he when he first wanted to go, 
he was told at the start of August, end of July, there's no way that, that you're leaving. You can put in as many transfer requests. You're not going. And, you know, he, he kicked up for a bit and, and Spurs are fortunate that, that Ericsson hasn't done that in this situation. But I just think there's been a lack of sort of leadership from Pochettino, from Daniel Levy on this whole issue and for it still to be sort of clouding you know, Tottenham's start to the season is a, is a nonsense really. How, how can a club that, that, that has designs to be ambitious allow itself to be in this situation? There was a, a table doing the rounds on, on social media this morning tweeted by Matt Furness of Opta, uh, which is the Premier League table since February the 2nd. So that's the last 17 games. And Tottenham are 12th <laughs> in that span. Tottenham are 12th. They've taken 21 points from their last 17 Premier League games. That's a full, that's nine points behind Crystal Palace Wow! in that period. That's a good um, link. Where's, where are Manchester United in there, by the way? Uh, tenth, not much better. Tenth, OK. Well, that's who we're going to talk about next. Manchester United were, that's another surprise at Old Trafford. Crystal Palace's first win at Old Trafford since 1989. Patrick Van Onholt netted in the 93rd minute, smashing home a loose ball after Wilfred Zaha's burst forward. And Daniel James thought he'd rescued a point for United when he curled home, home an equaliser in the 89th minute. Gary Cahill, 33, got man of the match. Potentially could have seen red, but uh, he only made two appearances all season last season. What do we think, Alison? Is he a, a shrewd signing by Roy Hodgson? No, very shrewd indeed. I mean, he's he's not the youngest defender you'll sign. But, I mean, I th- what I like most about defenders is their, the way they read the game. And sometimes you can have really quite quite slow blokes at the back and you think, well, how, come, how come they look like a god? Because they're, they're old and they're slow. It's because they read the game so well and they anticipate. And if you anticipate, you, you are faster than the nippiest forward because you've thought before he has thought where the ball's going to go and where the danger is. And I've all, what I've always liked about Cahill is that, that he does, he's sort of safety first, he reads the game exceptionally well. When United did threaten, he was there to block, head away, clear, body on the line sort of approach to the game. And uh, you can afford someone who's slightly older and maybe didn't have much game time for a whole season to come into your team if it is if everyone else around you is young and they just look to him to, you know, just point point the way, tell tell people where to move and so on. Um, and, you know, one day he will, Gary Kate, well, I think he already has actually, look back and think, oh, my word, why did I waste a whole season? Because it's such a short career as a player and he wasted a whole season doing nothing at all when he could have been... He could have been at Palace or Fulham or somewhere doing something. So that... And, and I also think that might inspire him to have a consistently good season beyond this one game at Old Trafford because he knows he knows he wasted he wasted a year of his life. He was almost a bit of a kind of scapegoat last season. He, there were times where it seemed harsh that he wasn't even involved at all. Um and he does seem thirty three's getting on a bit, but for a centre half he's, he's I think that's a an excellent free transfer, James. Um, yeah, he's, look, it's a very, it's a very kind of Roy Hodgson signing. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, obviously, last season Maurizio Sarri just didn't feel he was kind of compatible with his vision of football, and and so he was on the margins. But he's well suited to what Hodgson's trying to do at at uh, Crystal Palace, I think. And I think he'll obviously bring those kind of those intangibles as well. You know, the the experience, the yeah. kind of the nous and 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 those kind of things. 
think he would have been a savvy free transfer signing for Arsenal. <laughs> you know, I think and, you're probably right, yeah. Possibly, and possibly somebody like Everton who, you know, was struggling to get well, and struggled to get Kurt Zuma from 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 Chelsea permanently. I think in Everton's case, they were looking at an age range of of players of sort of twenty seven and 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 below. I think Fabian Delft might might just is a bit older than that. But in general speaking, they were looking at younger players. But I just think somebody like Kale, with all his experience and his his sort of now, would have been a certainly a good signing for Everton, and, and certainly would have been you know a decent acquisition for Arsenal. From Manchester United's perspective, there was more more problems with penalty kicks. Marcus Rashford saw his penalty hit the post to make it two misses and two for United, as Rashford and Pogba continue to share penalty duties. Well, what do you make of, of the situation over, over penalty kicks uh, at Old Trafford? I think it's a little bit of, again, a little bit of lack of authority from the manager. Rashford was the, to me, was Manchester United's penalty taker, the, the, the penalty against Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League that, that, that got them through through that game. I think it should have been, you know, Solskjaer should have designated him. He should have taken it at Wolves and if he missed he should have taken it again you get a couple of chances and then maybe it goes to somebody else I just don't think it sends out a good message the, the sort of chopping and changing to me it says that the players are having too much influence on what on what Solskjaer's doing and I think I think Solskjaer's letting I, th- I think for me the problem is I mean I think first of all the Rashford penalty on uh, Saturday was not the issue. Rashford's a good penalty taker. He aimed for the corner. He hit the post. It happens. It's like the first one that he's missed for ages. But from, do you think the situation added pressure to that kick for him? I think for me, yeah. I I don't like honestly. I don't know whether it did or it didn't. That's the kind of thing only he will know. But the the optics of it are terrible. I think. I think it's a fundamental kind of misreading of the modern player. I think. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer we know is obsessed with trying to kind of bring back this sort of rose-tinted view of the past and sort of, you know, kind of encourage to, you know, he wants to sort of encourage players to take a bit of responsibility on the pitch and sort of, you know, a bit of improvisation and initiative on the pitch as things were in his day. But I think modern players don't work like that. Modern players want to kind of be micromanaged and they want to know exactly what they're doing before they step out on the field. And I think to have this situation where you've turned something which was an absolute non-issue um, into something which is now is now going to hang over all the subsequent penalties that Manchester United take and, until the issue is resolved, for me, is just such it's such a self-inflicted problem. And I think it's really bad management, actually. It's very poor grasp of psychology, isn't it? Because if you if you make your players have to fight or decide, oh publicly decide I feel good about taking this penalty so you have a conversation on the pitch or what, whatever form it takes you've just piled so much pressure on yourself I mean it's ridiculous that doesn't just doesn't work they do say the way to get through penalties is to never change your mind to have practiced so much that you know you're perfect so that when you step up your mind is empty of doubt because you know you've done it a hundred times how can having a conversation beforehand help that it cannot and it's costing them points. Well, it is costing them points. I mean, it. it, it I mean, it, it was a kind of freaky game in that Palace were very defensive and took their, just took their chances. And United had more chances and more possession and didn't take them, and including didn't take a penalty. 
so yes, and who knows? Maybe maybe that seeps through seeps through the the, the team that they feel they haven't quite got the the pizzazz in front of goal that they should have. Certainly, it's, there's there's a lot of young players there who who just they can do without politics. There's too much politics, at Old Trafford. <laughs> well, we've still got VAR to talk about, so there's plenty more politics to come. No such troubles for Manchester City. Pep Guardiola hailed David Silva as one of the best players he has ever seen after he contributed to all three of Manchester City's goals in a convincing win at Bournemouth. Silva, making his 400th appearance for City, helped the champions move up to second in the Premier League, two points behind leaders Liverpool. James, where do you think David Silva, this is his last season Mm. in the Premier League, where do you think we will rank him in in the sort of pantheon of, of Premier League greats in midfield? Well, I think a while ago we had to pick our best Premier League eleven of the 2010s. Um, and uh, for me, David Silva and Sergio Aguero were the first kind of, the most kind of indisputable names on there just because of the kind of consistency of their excellence and their longevity. I mean, I think David Silva's been there since since 2010, so nine, nine seasons. Um and I think, yeah, I mean, and, you know, obviously in that time, the Manchester City team has kind of touched, you know, heights of attacking football that, you know, probably haven't been reached in the Premier League era before. I think it's interesting because if you look at the sort of, if you talk about the kind of the great midfielders of, of the previous decade, you sort of think of players with kind of immense force of personality, like, you know, your Keens and your Vieiras and, and so on. And Silver kind of, I think is more emblematic of the current era because he sort of he doesn't really appear to have that to me. He's he's quite a sort of um sort of quite a subtle and an almost sort of anonymous figure, but he's just he's just such an excellent footballer and he has been, you know, he's been one of the most consistently excellent footballers in the Premier League this decade. Alison Manchester City they have another silver to probably fill his shoes from next season but they are hard shoes to fill it's going to be he's not really a player that's easy to replace is it no and I think as the season progresses there'll be a lot of sort of mournful faces around the Etihad as they contemplate him not being there it's he's an exquisite footballer and 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 as James says he's understated as well he's not um when I think of great midfielders I think of players who really get stuck in I like a player who, who <laughs> deserves too. the ability, deserves the chance to play the killer pass because they won the ball with a, a really tough tackle and a clever tackle and so on he's not he's not that he's very non-English in that sense and he's brought sort of continental exoticism to the Premier League he has been injured and City have missed him but they've also absorbed his absence because they have so much depth of, of talent and, and it's not like he's like a one-off They've got players who can thread the ball through an eye of a needle, all you know, in all positions. So they will absorb his loss. But I think, I think it's yeah, his longevity and the fact that he quietly knits it all together for them. Sometimes he's often not the, the obvious star, but if you analyse it, oh, that happened because David Silva can can see the perfect ball. Silva, who was at the at the heart of probably the most striking example of uh, the confusion Vara's bringing this weekend um, he was brought down in the penalty box by Jefferson Lerma the, the Bournemouth midfielder and 
after a check from VAR, which, clo- which showed clear contact uh, and a, a stamp on his foot, essentially. Um, no penalty was awarded. James, you were at the game. What did you make of this? And what do you make of the weekend's kind of VAR incidents, which were a little bit perplexing? And it's just kind of highlighting the, the contradictions in, in, in this law. For me, this was a really bad use of VAR. This was the the ex- so the the incident was Silver dribbled into the box, went down under a challenge from Jefferson Lerma, uh, and Andre Mariner did not give a penalty, uh, but it was subsequently reviewed and from the replays it was quite clear that Jefferson Lerma had in fact trod on David Silver's foot. It was a clear foul, but no penalty was given, and we're told that this is because of this you know, theoretical high bar threshold for VAR intervention, i.e., you know, this kind of concept that you don't want to overturn the referee's decision unless it's a clear and obvious mistake. For me, this is the absolute worst of all worlds because you had a game being paused and held up while a clear refereeing mistake was reviewed but wasn't overturned on the grounds that it wasn't a, a large enough howler. I mean, for me, I mean, for me, that is just, it's the absolute worst of all worlds. Terrible use of technology. I still feel, and I've mentioned this before, I still feel strongly that, that the, by far the best way of implementing VAR is to have some sort of challenge system. Um, I think that would solve a lot of, a lot of problems. Well, why would it be different? If, if there'd been a challenge on that decision, it wouldn't have made any difference to the outcome. Just because you're a manager who makes a challenge doesn't mean they're automatically going to overrule the referee. Yeah, it's, no, the, it's right. the high you're, threshold that is the right. issue. Really. You're right, actually. That, yeah. that, wouldn't have, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't have made a particular difference in this case. I just feel that it would be better because at the moment we're sort of... I just feel the current state of kind of reviewing... I'm, I'm kind of torn about it. I think, I think any of the incidents this weekend... I mean, Harry Kane was, you know, fouled by uh, Jamal Lascelles who, as he fell to the ground. Um, I think all of them... They were, in real time, probably you were un- unsure about the, the decision. You weren't. You didn't say that's a stonewall penalty in real time. I don't think any of them for any of them. Whereas when you see the replay, you you obviously have the benefit of the slowed down action and and David Silva's did look like a penalty kick, but I understand why they want to have a high threshold because, like we don't want the game stopped for every incident. And, well, I mean, what do you think, Alison? It's not. It's not. It's not a straightforward situation because, in in real time, they don't they didn't look like penalties. But, but is it a waste of time then having the the technology if when we use it we're not actually given the correct decision? Well, the, the, it's become a philosophical problem now because it now depends what sort of referee you've got refereeing your match. Have you got a referee who makes the who thinks I feel comfortable awarding a penalty even though. I'm aware that it might not be a penalty because I'm going to get the backup of VAR. Or are you a penalty that thinks the opposite? They think, oh, well, you know, they're going to back me come what may, so I won't give a penalty. I'm happier as a person, as a referee, as someone in charge of this game, I am happier not giving the penalty unless I'm absolutely convinced it's a, you know, stonewall foul, knowing that I'm off the hook because... That's what it does. It it takes. We're not talking about the referees, and I think we should be. If they want a high bar in order to make sure matches are not refereed by monitor, 
and they're going to back what the referees do, then we have to go back to what we used to do, which was analyse the referees. And we need to know why they make the decisions they're making. I think they've had a bit of training on how to cope with the imposition of VAR, but what it, how it affects them as doing their job, I, I don't think they even know yet. You will, I think you'll find some personalities retreating into the I'm not giving a penalty personality, and some will yeah. some will go for the oh I, I I I can I can be bold I can be bold. The penalty given in the Wolves Burnley match yeah. was to me in real time clearly not a penalty. Absolutely, very soft. But maybe that referee wouldn't have given it if he hadn't had yeah. VAR backup. But in fact, the VAR backup is irrelevant because they're going to back you anyway. Yeah. Go figure. Alison, you tweeted something that I thought was was spot on in the the, the kind of the, the supposedly yeah, objective decisions, i.e., you know, the likes of offside, which is supposed to be, you know, completely yes or no clear cut. We don't really like being adjudicated to a totally objective standard. I think people in general sort of general consensus is that seems to be that people prefer to have a little bit of kind of leeway and refereeing interpretation on offside calls than to have them sort of refereed to this kind of absurd standard where you're sort of like checking like you know inches of shoulder millimeters of kneecap um whereas the the kind of suggest just decisions that are supposedly subjective like penalties for me are currently being reviewed in a way that is too kind of that leaves too much room for the referees you know gives too much credit to the referees interpretation the Lerma one was a good example it's absolutely clear foul you know he trod trod on David Silva's foot but but because fouls are deemed to be a subjective call which I mean yes they are to an extent in that case we had to stick with Andre Marin's decision which I think 95% of people would agree was wrong and so, the people, the people making the VAR decisions, are mates with the referees on the pitch. They all know each other. It's only, it's only another bloke. It's one other bloke, basically. And it's his mate made a decision, and he does, he does, he's been told, "Hi, bar, don't re-referee <laughs> the game." What's he going to do? You probably need for, for VAR to work properly, and I'd rather it just didn't exist. Let's just say that again. If for VAR to work properly, you probably need a panel of eight hundred and twenty-six. <laughs> Highly trained Come officials on, Alison, we're getting in a wormhole here. Who, who <laughs> watch it and all press a button to say yes or no on the penalty. And if there's a certain percentage gap that's big enough that overrules, then you overrule. Paul, what do you make of these um, this, this kind of high threshold? <laughs> that sums it up. You don't have to go any further if you don't yeah, want. <laughs> yeah, I, I find the whole... I'm not what... I don't like... VAR, to be honest, I just think it's, to me, it wasn't necessary to bring in. I, I don't, um, I didn't, didn't understand why the LaSalle's challenge on Kane yesterday wasn't a penalty at the end. He clearly impeded Kane in the in the penalty area. To me, when they, when they check that, I'm thinking, well, he's, they're going to have to give a, a penalty for this. If that, if that doesn't, if that's not, I suppose that didn't come under the, the threshold as well, but I just find the whole. I'm hoping the whole focus on VAR will blow over and we'll go back to just talking about the the actual <laughs> football because I just find it it's just not for me. I just find the whole. I just wish they'd not brought it in human error and let's just go with what the game, what we've what we've always had and it wasn't that bad before. So okay, well I think the I think the only. Um, decision that was overturned 
from VAR was Olivier Giroud on Tim Krul um, at, at Carroll Road. Big win for Frank Lampard and Chelsea, who got his first win, and Tammy Abraham scored his first two goals for Chelsea as well, which Lampard said will, will do wonders for his confidence. Um, Alison, you were there. How was how did Tammy Abraham play, and um, do you think he can lead the line successfully for Chelsea this season? Well, he took his goals well. He's not he's not a terribly imposing striker yet. I I I felt if I had to buy one right now, I'd go for Puki over Abraham because of his overall really? contribution to the match. Um, there's that sort of. I was very impressed by Puki. It's the first time I'd seen him in the flesh, and he d- he looks completely different than he does on television. He's 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 muscly and powerful <laughs> and dominates and looks like someone who believes but has complete total self-belief with no arrogance attached. Very impressed. Abraham could could easily become a, a, a great a great great striker, but you, you can still you can tell he's still learning, and. Um, but he, he, you know, he can strike the ball. He can score goals. He's obviously good. He's obviously good. I just felt his his overall involvement is, is an area he needs to work on, perhaps. Um, and I think the point is really that Frank is happy for him to be learning on the job. There's not no. We've now reached the end of the era of Chelsea, where they have this huge amount of talent that are being told learn somewhere else, learn somewhere else, learn in a different division, learn at a different club, learn abroad. But there's under Frank Lampard, he wants them to be learning in the first team which is obviously risky but for for as long as the fans are happy and I was really struck I've seen a lot of Chelsea over the years and I was really struck by how I honestly felt they could have lost they could have lost at Carrow Road and the fans would still have sung how happy they were to have Frank Lampard in charge he will have time and I think the people in charge at Chelsea will give him the time for as long as the fans want him there they didn't like the mood last season. Chelsea did rather well to finish third and win a piece of silverware. But the fans were vocally very, very angry and they want that connection. They want a connection with, with from the terraces to the, the pitch. They want to feel that the people who were scoring goals for them supported Chelsea as a kid, were trained by Chelsea as they were growing up and have their heart and soul as part of, part of it. And they're getting that now and there'll be blips along the way but for as long as the fans are happy, I think this is going to be a, a new phase in Chelsea history. I think the ownership will be happy too. Yeah, James, the starting lineup had an average age of 24 years and 208 days, which was their youngest in the Premier League since February 1994. Mason Mount also impressed, got man of the match. There are some reasons to be to be cheerful for Chelsea now. I mean, yes, absolutely. It's so it's so funny, isn't it, to kind of you know see Chelsea who have been you know really probably a Champions League level team for, you know, yeah. most of the past kind of five five to ten seasons really, with obviously quite a lot of fluctuation along the way, but you know what I mean. And and now the kind of particularly the the front lineup that they're playing is so kind of totally different because it's like it's the sort of lineup that you'd sort of with respect to Mount and Abraham, it's you know, it's it's kind of a mid table ish sort of or, you know, Europa League level attacking lineup but i guess it's the the attitude of the fans and people's expectations are, are so important because i don't think people are kind of i don't think people are disappointed by that i think people are, are quite my impression is that the fans are quite prepared for chelsea to finish sixth this season and just and you know have a sort of broadly positive but not you know if, if tammy abraham scores you know 10 or 12 goals let's say 
you know, that, that people would be absolutely okay with that. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. It will be interesting to see how they cope in the Champions League. For sure. I mean, they're, they're there. They're there with the experiment. They could go one of two ways, really. Yeah. And I think Mount Mount is so interesting as well because he's sort of... He's playing in that sort of, although he wasn't, he wasn't playing. He's playing he's wide. Moved on to the left, I think. He was, yeah. but I think he's gonna. He's obviously going to play quite a lot in that sort of number ten role, which is really interesting because he's not really yet. We haven't really seen him at all much in his career to suggest that he's a creator. I mean, he only got four assists at Champions League, sorry, at Championship level last season, but he does really appear to have a sort of that kind of indefinable sort of goal scoring knack. Um, and and obviously he's got that real connection with Frank Lampard, who is the player that he idolised growing up, the player that he wrote a project on when he was sort of you know during his studies at Chelsea's academy, the manager who he played under at Derby last season, who said wear the number eight. You know, there's obviously and you know there's that real kind of intangible connection between you know master and apprentice if you want to put it like that and it'll be so interesting to see mount had a had a good season at derby last season but i don't think kind of took the world by storm but it'll be so interesting to see how much frank lampard can bring out of him looking at norwich paul you you'll have seen them at anfield on the opening day they've had yeah. quite a tough start but they have impressed what do you, what do you think this uh, a good season looks like for them this season just staying up or could they possibly do even better um, I think obviously staying up would be a, a really good season for them. Um, I like what they've what they've done. Not just feeling the the, the need to to spend when coming up. They've backed uh, Pukki to get the goals in in the Premier League. Uh, he got twenty nine in the Championship last season. You know he's somebody who, who can score. And I just I just like the way Norwich have sort of been brave to sort of. You know, people accuse them of not having any ambition because they've not spent loads of money, but really the the ambition that they showed was by sticking to the philosophy of Farker and, and the director of football, Stuart Webber, in backing these young players. And there, there are going to be ups and downs, and they have had you know, Liverpool, Chelsea in your first few fixtures, and I think they've got Manchester City as well soon. But I think, especially at Anfield and... And again, on at the weekend, they will cause problems for teams, and they and they will, I think they'll score goals, and that gives them a great chance of of staying up. I think they've got a lot of good young English players: uh, Max Aaron's, Godfrey, Jamal Lewis, um, Cantwell as well. So I I actually hope what uh, Norwich do well this season because I think it would send a a bit of a message out to the promoted clubs that you don't have to spend massive amounts of money if you've got the sort of resources already at your disposal. You don't have to rip it up, basically. I think they, they took a lot of sort of credence from what Bournemouth did when they came up and that Eddie Howe basically backed the squad that did so well in the Championship last season. And I think Norwich scored about 94 goals last season. They've shown that they will score goals again, and that's the hardest thing to do. And staying up will be a, a great achievement for them, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if they did a little bit better than that. Elsewhere, Leicester City had an encouraging 2-1 victory against Sheffield United at Bramall Lane. Six minutes after coming on, Harvey Barnes rifled in a peach of a half volley, definitely the goal of the weekend, to take all three points. Chris Wilder wasn't a very happy man. He said he was not going to pat his players on the back for working hard. Leicester, though, are up to fourth 
with five points from the opening three games and are many people's team to break into the top six. What do we think, Alison? Are Leicester best placed to reach the top six? Far too early to say. I think I think they're helped by the fact that Wolves are obviously distracted and for as long as they're in the Europa League will continue to be distracted. They've got nice players, Leicester, and they've, you know... I don't know why we keep going on about them being plucky outsiders. They did win the Premier League not so long ago, so maybe maybe the challenge there really is to think bigger rather than think that they're on people's coattails trying to do plucky job. Um, they need to they need to reassess their uh, ambition. Well, I mean, if you've won the Premier League, you should think of yourself as a top four club, shouldn't you? There's, and there's no, there's absolutely no reason to think. I really don't think there's any reason for Leicester to feel that their squad is inferior to Chelsea's this season. I don't think there's that there's much, if anything, between those squads in terms of kind of overall talent level. I mean, Leicester's midfield, you know, and Didi, Tielemans, Madison. I mean, that is that is top quality midfield. That midfield could play in the Champions League. And Harvey Barnes coming off the bench, and what a strike that was. He's a real player. He was, he was fantastic uh, for West Brom on loan last season and obviously was called back at, uh, in January, but... He has a habit of scoring goals like that as well, and you're not going to see a more finely struck shot than that. Was it the best Barnes goal of the weekend? (laughs) Go on. I thought Ashley Barnes' goal was better. No. Yes. Further away. Well, that's it for now. Many thanks to my guests today, Alison Rudd, James Gearbrand and Paul Joyce. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just £1 a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Thursday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.